It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Tyrus. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, June 6, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Mass shootings in Philadelphia and Chattanooga, Tennessee contribute to millions of Americans feeling threatened by a crime crisis. Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin says violent hate is on the rise and must be turned around. People, regardless of whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, liberal, moderate, conservative, whatever region you're from, uh, but especially inside of places like New York City and Rochester, folks don't feel safe on their streets. I'm Chris Foster. Everything costs more these days, but there are also more options to make money right now. This is a spectacular time to be looking for work. It's also a great time to ask your boss for a raise, by the way. If you've been thinking about doing that for months and months, make the move now because companies don't want to lose really good workers. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Uvalde, Texas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. All places with mass shootings in just the past couple of weeks. Before that, there was a grocery store massacre in Buffalo, New York. Byron Brown is Buffalo's mayor. We have continued to witness the dark reality of gun violence in America. From the mass shooting right here in Buffalo, to the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. Vice President Kamala Harris says she hopes this time will be different, that something will get done on gun control. I temper my optimism with, um, you know, knowing that when Sandy Hook happened, nothing happened. But, you know, I I do believe that people can learn and I, I do believe that people can revisit an issue like this and perhaps have a change of heart and mind. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has emphasized two issues underscoring the mass shooting problem, mental health and school safety. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is a South Carolina Republican. To find common ground, we have to find common sense. What we've seen in years past are either side politicizing a tragic event to their political gain, and that's not what needs to happen. That isn't the only major issue facing this country. There's also soaring fuel prices, inflation, and criminal activity in inner cities. The crime crisis in many major American cities leaves millions of Americans feeling unsafe. Oh, it's as personal as it gets when we're talking about our great men and women in blue. I was raised in a law enforcement household. As a matter of fact, my parents were divorced and remarried. I spent my week inside of one law enforcement household, my weekend in another law enforcement household. And this shouldn't even be an issue of contrast between parties, but it is. Lee Zeldin is a New York Republican congressman running for governor of New York. In New York State, they've implemented cashless bail. We've seen something get passed and signed in a law called Less Is More, which you had a whole, I mean, thousands of people released early from prison who should remain behind bars. The HALT Act regarding solitary confinement inside of our correctional facilities just started getting implemented. Reports of correctional officers getting attacked. Parole boards releasing cop killers and other murderers in New York State there is this decision point right now 
of where we want to go. Do, do we want our streets controlled by law-abiding citizens and law enforcement or criminals? Uh, and I believe that a lot of why New Yorkers are fleeing the state more than any other state we've seen across the entire country is because people don't feel safe on our streets. And there are other issues as well, economic and, and otherwise. But people, regardless of whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent, liberal, moderate, conservative, whatever region you're from, uh, but especially inside of places like New York City and Rochester, folks don't feel safe on their streets, in the subways, in businesses, in their homes. Raw, violent hate is on the rise, and we have to do everything in our power to turn that part around. It is a real issue why New York leads the country in population loss. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a very powerful position, comes from the great state of New York. He should certainly understand some of these concerns that you're hearing from New Yorkers. Is he not getting a handle on some of these issues because he's worried about another New Yorker, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and some of the most progressive voices in the Democratic Party? Well, there's no doubt that what used to be looked at as the far left of the Democratic Party and backbenchers, not even quite in power yet, have now started to gain very real power. Chuck Schumer is the majority leader in the Senate with a 50-50 Senate. And you have the likes of a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And, and whether it's down in Washington and trying to stay on as majority leader or it's back home where he's running for re-election to the U.S. Senate, and you have people getting elected to the state assembly, state senate, self-described socialists, AOC and her friends growing in, uh, in influence within the party and within government. I think that that's certainly top of mind for Senator Schumer. He runs with the Working Families Party support. And in New York, there is this other party called the Working Families Party that exists. And if Chuck Schumer came out and said Alvin Bragg should be fired refusing to enforce the law or Cash's bail should be repealed, he would end up with protests outside of his home, his office, and everywhere else he went. And he just decided to just go along with it as opposed to leading. And that's also one of the issues with President Biden and others who are in power is that they aren't telling the far left of their party no. And meanwhile, then that results in the far left taking over more and more of their party. I think every American was horrified by what we saw in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, there have been other mass shootings, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma recently. There are bipartisan conversations taking place in the Senate about what can be done. Uh, there's talk about addressing mental health, hardening schools and medical facilities, um, some talking about some tweaking of gun control. Where does this conversation go? What can possibly be done? There's been a history in the past where Republicans and Democrats, whether you are pro-Second Amendment or you're cheering on Justin Trudeau in Canada, I, I do think that there's a way that Republicans and Democrats can work together. And, uh, and this is certainly one of those topics. In my opinion, I believe that we should have trained armed school officers working with local law enforcement at every school. I believe that we should have single point of entry into our schools. And we can have a debate if somebody wants to disagree, but I think that hardening schools is something that Republicans and Democrats should be able to agree with each other with. You have a military background in the United States Army as active duty, also in the reserves. Uh, we just hit 100 days 
of the war in Ukraine. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that critical national security issue. It is amazing how hard fought the Ukrainian people and leadership have put up with resolve, with spirit, patriotism, nationalism, that to see the Ukrainian flag still flying over Kyiv and other cities in Ukraine when Vladimir Putin and others thought that it would take no more than a few days to be able to take over their neighbors, it's amazing. And it's inspirational that uh, the Ukrainian people fighting for their own freedom against an illegal invasion by a neighbor, that they continue to survive and grow stronger in certain respects. But the challenge hasn't gone away. They still face a huge threat. And Vladimir Putin has the capability to make life even more difficult than what we see today. Uh, But the fact is, as you're asking me the question here, 100 days in, the Ukrainian people are still in charge of their own country with their own flag flying over their their city. And uh, that's the type of spirit and fight that they needed to provide in order to make sure that their country survived. And it's uh, it's something that hopefully uh, just continues because uh, this invasion by Putin was wrong. And I think it's clear you have one country fighting for freedom against a legal invasion and the other one and, and uh, an absolute uh, bad actor that deserves to lose in every way. As you look at the Biden administration response to Ukraine, do you feel like there's an internal tug of war going on between people who are like, careful, you don't want to step into World War Three versus those who say, hey, send the weapons to the Ukrainians and let them slug it out with the Russians. Give them a chance to win. Is, is there an internal struggle underway, do you think, behind the scenes? A hundred percent. There's an internal struggle. There's an external struggle. It's amongst not just Democrats, but with Republicans, too. When you're talking about the consequences of certain decisions here, if you make the bad call and you end up stepping into World War III, you can't just say, oh, my bad, I'm just going to take that back and go this other direction. And there are certain challenges we face as a country where the solution is simple. This is an example where decisions are made you know, every week, uh, you could say every day, on how to view this conflict, what we should do about it. There's so many different conversations going on amongst nations, uh, whether it's uh, the United States engaged in bilateral diplomacy with another country or it's multilateral and, and many nations trying to figure out what to do and uh, decisions made in Europe and energy extraction and uh, just serious consequential play calls that have to get made Uh, but to answer your question is there an internal struggle absolutely and i think all americans really are approaching this with extremely strong emotions and understanding the gravity of ensuring that whatever decision we make is the right one to an issue affecting every New Yorker, every American at this point, inflation, a lot of it driven by fuel prices. Uh, do you have a sense that the Biden administration gets it and is ready to open up domestic production, or are they willing to just let people pay more at the pump in that hope that it leads to a green transformation? The Biden administration does not get it. 
there are some people within the administration who get it, but the administration as a whole, when you look at their policy, clearly they're going in the wrong direction still. I mean, when you cut off Russian oil imports, you shouldn't be running off to Iran and Venezuela. There's an opportunity here within the U.S. to create more jobs and generate revenue and revitalize communities and bring down energy costs and rely less on foreign actors abroad. The opportunity is absolutely there. It's just so key for uh, this administration to change its focus. And instead of prioritizing whatever John Kerry's climate changes are, is saying must be the next move. And rather than being owned by AOC and her friends, the Biden administration needs to lead. And this is an example. We were just talking about Ukraine, where it's a, a complicated decision that has to get made daily, weekly, to make sure that you don't end up in World War Three. This is actually one of those issues where the answer is pretty straightforward. It might be a complicated global challenge as it relates to energy supply and energy costs, but right here in our own country, ramp up production. I, I'm in New York State where we can be safely extracting natural gas from the Marcellus and Utica shells, but there's a ban. The ban should be reversed. And uh, it's just uh, really unfortunate. Setting climate change goals, you, you put dates on the board that cannot be achieved without immense pain for people who can least afford it. Uh, this is a moment where I actually, I believe that the solutions are obvious. They're common sense, what needs to get done. Uh, but this Biden administration, as of today, still doesn't get it. Congressman Lee Zeldin, Republican candidate for governor of the great state of New York. Thank you so much for your time. Safe travels. Always great to be with you. Take care. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. A year-long streak of adding at least 400,000 new jobs to the economy every month is broken, but it was close. 390,000 new jobs were created in May, according to the Labor Department, and it reports the unemployment rate is flat at 3.6%. America is stronger economic in a stronger economic position today than just about any other country in the world. But President Biden says he knows inflation is a big problem for some people. I understand that families who are struggling probably don't care why the prices are up. They just want them to go down. Joe, what are you going to do to bring them down? But it's important that we understand the root of the problem so we can take steps to solve it. Ohio House Republican Warren Davidson on Fox Business. If you look at Joe Biden, his solutions, uh, you know, well, I hope the Fed figures it out on the one hand. And on the other hand, let's give more government and more government's how we got into this mess. We'll get into what's happening with inflation. But first, the job market. It's been a, a good run for the economy for the last 12 months. You, that, that was really the biggest growth in jobs uh, in the history of, 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 of record keeping on this. John Bussey's an associate editor at The Wall Street Journal. It's a robust labor market. Wage rates are up uh, again. Uh, and that's good for wage earners. The consumer is uh, still spending. Uh, consumer spending was up in April. Uh, it's expected to be up again in May. 
So overall, the economy is pretty strong still. Wages are up year to year, 5.2% last month, a little bit less than the month before, not much. Um, but for a lot of people, that's being eaten up by inflation. Do you see those wages exceeding inflation anytime soon? Yeah, see, that's the important point. Um, I mean, for the glass half empty read on the economy is that while wages are up, which is good for wage earners, uh, and they're up notably. I mean, you were running at uh, wage, you know, growth uh, in you know somewhere around three percent, a little bit more on average. Uh, in February of 2020, before the pandemic started in earnest. Uh, Now it's up over 5%. So that's really good. But as you point out, it's getting eaten up by inflation and it is spurring inflation. So wage rates going up, labor costs going up. That's a huge piece of any business's operations are labor expenses. And so that gets passed on through to the consumer. Uh, And inflation is not moderating. It's up over 6%. It's moderated ever so slightly. And that's likely to lead the Fed to continue to take more contractionary uh, action. I don't mean mom and pop businesses, but is there anything to the Biden administration's claim um, that there's some gouging going on, that this, that, that, that some of this is just going to profits? Yeah, no, no question. I'm sure that there are businesses out there saying, hey, I've got great cover right now uh, to, to raise the, my prices, even if the component parts of my business, labor rates, raw materials, other things like that are not going up as much. So I'm going to raise my caught by uh, prices and my profits as as a result. I'm sure that there's probably some of that going on, but that's not driving this uh, increase in, in inflation. What's driving it is a really tight labor market. Uh, companies are still having trouble finding employees to come back to work. The more people are participating in the labor force, it's still not where it was before the pandemic. Uh, and companies are having to pay more for workers. And then on top of that, you have all of the things that we've been discussing over the last couple of years, which is supply chains getting disrupted. That's causing the cost of raw materials to go up uh, because you can't get them. You can't get them from China or from India or from some place outside the United States, even in the U.S., because the pandemic has shut down factories periodically. Uh, so you still can't get those raw materials. That's driven prices up. Then you have this war going on in Ukraine, and that is not to be underestimated what's happening there, because that is highly inflationary for not just the U.S., but for the world. A lot of the world's grain, wheat comes out of Ukraine and Russia. A huge disproportionate amount of global supply come from those two countries. Uh, Similarly, fertilizer for farms all over the world, all disrupted. Prices going up for the raw materials that go into making food and processing food. Is there any sense that people are literally, especially in in poorer nations, that people are literally going hungry because of the war in Ukraine? I think that you're beginning to see that and you're beginning to see uh, substantial concern about that uh, from the United Nations from the European Union, from these countries that rely on global grain transport being uninterrupted to the point now where there's discussions of how do you create some kind of humanitarian cargo flow out of Ukraine to the rest of the world? There's discussions with Russia over that. But look, you know, Russia's got a lot of leverage right now uh, in curtailing that flow because it wants sanctions relief. The only way to do that is to force the world to 
take uh, a new position on those sanctions. Uh, bringing it back here with with jobs, it's still a pretty new world for people looking for jobs and especially for people hiring. Uh, it, it's the best market for job seekers in decades. How many decades? Depends on who you ask. I mean, there's still two jobs out there for every job seeker. Is there a, is there a mismatch, though? Are some industries desperate for help while others are, are tighter? So I think that you're right. This is a spectacular time to be looking for work. It's also a great time to ask your boss for a raise, by the way. If you've been thinking about doing that for months and months, make the move now because companies don't want to lose really good workers. And so it might be good for the average Joe and Josephine to uh, step up and say, hey, look, now's the time for that raise I've been thinking about for for a year or two uh, because the companies might be more amenable to it. Uh, and yes, there are mismatches within uh, industry, but you're beginning to see as a result of the Fed raising rates and signaling that it's going to raise rates further, that companies are starting to say, hey, look, you know, we were going to borrow to expand. We were going to build that new plant or we were going to add on that new production line. Uh, borrowing costs are already up slightly. They're still pretty low and they're going to go up even more over the couple of over the period that we were thinking of borrowing to expand. So maybe we won't. Maybe we're going to kind of hang tight. We're just fine right now. We're meeting demand. We don't need to expand. And as a result, you're be just beginning to see manufacturing in the United States kind of moderate ever so slightly. And the Fed's looking very closely at that. It's looking very closely at wage rates because they are so inflationary. And when that begins to moderate, when rate growth begins to moderate and come down below 5%, maybe down into four, maybe back down into three, then you're going to see the Fed starting to say, okay, rate increases may not need to continue for as long as we thought that they would. Uh, midterms coming up, President Biden keeps saying, trying to put a good face on all this. Look, we're doing better than most countries. I know I know people are hurting, et cetera, et cetera, but we're doing better than most countries in terms of inflation and gas price hikes, et cetera, et cetera. Do people have legitimate reasons to be angry with this administration for the higher prices that they're paying? Or is this, is this just the kind of thing that presidents have nothing to do with? You, you can argue that some of the COVID relief programs flushed a lot of money into the economy, which, which exacerbated spending and um, as a result, inflation. Uh, histories will be written on this period, and we'll have to see how much of that did, in fact, make the economy more inflationary. The one thing it did do was it put money into the pockets of people who didn't have jobs at the time or were unable to get to their job because they were at home taking care of their kids because the kids' schools weren't operating properly. So it, on the one hand, was beneficial for the economy. It kept people engaged and spending. On the other hand, it might have been inflationary. So how much of that contributed to inflation? I don't know. Um, was it a percent? Was it a quarter percent? Was it 2 percent? Or were these other major forces the primary cause for inflation? The fact that the economy was back on its heels in 2020. We had shut down for weeks uh, and then for months in various parts of the economy, and so too the global economy. And it takes a while for the world to re-engage and for global supply chains to get back on their feet operating efficiently. We're still in that process. Uh, that seems to me to be a you know hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars problem. Um, and so, too, the fact that the labor market and then this war in Ukraine, I think people underestimated how inflationary that that might be. My suspicion is that we'll look back and we'll say these major forces, COVID, the pandemic, supply chain disruption, 
were the the big factors. The the, the shock waves from the the COVID earthquake, it, no matter how it feels in our day to day lives, as far as the pandemic goes, are, those shock waves are still being felt in the economy in May for a very long time. Uh, absolutely, uh, and look, uh, Shanghai is a long way away, but it was just shut down for two months. <laughs> the The port operated, but at a fraction of its productivity. Uh, the port of Shanghai, a major distribution point for things that are made in China, and what's made in China, pretty much uh, a large fraction of everything that's bought in the United States. So if it's getting clogged up at the port of Shanghai still, okay, they just eased restrictions in Shanghai. And you had disruption over the last two months. You can expect that sort of aftershock of the major earthquake to reverberate through the U.S. economy and in the inflation numbers for weeks, if not months to come. Are we setting aside necessities for people that do have a couple extra nickels to rub together? Are we seeing a shift back to services as opposed to goods? If it's harder to get goods and those goods are more expensive, are people and now you know now that people can go out more and are traveling more and eating out more? Is there any sense that uh, that that's a shift that's going to last for a while, or is there a shift there? Uh, consumer sentiment moderated uh, in this last month. The University of Michigan does a survey. And consumer sentiment fell to the lowest in uh, about a, a little over a decade, which signals that maybe the consumer is now picking up on all these concerns about the future of the economy and the, the difficulty of getting uh, of paying for a house right now. And the fact that cars are are pricier than they have been in the past and the consumer might be pulling in their horns a bit. Remember, the consumer is about two thirds of the U.S. economy. What the consumer does is the direction of the U.S. economy goes in. So if you begin to see the consumer moderate and spending less across the board services and and various goods, um, then you might see a slowdown in the economy. The big question is whether or not the Fed's going to be able to get this right and is able to moderate inflation down to the 2% level that it's comfortable with without tipping the economy into a recession. John Bussey is an associate editor with The Wall Street Journal. John, thanks. My pleasure. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday. Monday is D-Day, marking the day in 1944 when more than 150,000 American, British, and Canadian forces landed on five beaches in the Normandy region of France. The Allied invasion was key in the fight against the Nazis in World War II. Tuesday. Tuesday, another round of primaries as we approach the November midterms. Voters will head to the polls in California, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota. Thursday. A shipment of around 400,000 pounds of infant formula is scheduled to arrive from London and Australia. It's part of the Biden administration's Operation Fly formula designed to ease shortages in the U.S. Saturday. A large rally is planned in the nation's capital to protest gun violence. It comes in the wake of a rising number of mass shootings, including one at a Texas elementary school that killed 19 children and two teachers. The Belmont Stakes also takes place Saturday, the final leg of the Triple Crown. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. Benson. What's on your mind? Virtually all politicians lie. They fib, they exaggerate. But Joe Biden is next level. Over decades, Biden has told tall tales or flat out falsehoods about multiple elements of his life story and biography. At the very least, he got some major details wrong in a story he just told about being appointed to the Naval Academy in 1965, which didn't happen. And the list goes on from there. He lied about being arrested in South Africa, trying to visit Nelson Mandela. He lied about getting arrested, protesting for civil rights in the United States. He's lied about various jobs that he's applied for or held in his life, including being a tractor trainer driver. That didn't happen. He lied about his plagiarism scandal and a whole litany of academic accolades that he never actually achieved. There are many more examples, but we're out of time. It seems pathological. It is shameless. And above all else, it's really weird. But this penchant for untruths and embellishment has gotten him all the way to the Oval Office. I'm Guy Benson. listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.